I couldn't share my partner like you do. How come? <laughs> <laughs> back to the poly podcast Woohoo! exciting well we have first of all we have like an absolutely phenomenal episode for everybody today oh, yes. i am so excited about it i personally think it's our best episode to date but that's just me well it's just that it, it's it's really great because we've we've got someone on that really we knew well before we even yeah you know, started the podcast or mm-hmm. the podcast was even a, even a thing in our heads mm-hmm. um and this person really helped us on our journey and it was kind of a bit of a uh pinch yourself moment in a way um 100%. hopefully the first of many yeah um but you know we'll we'll get to that we'll get to that shortly won't we i'm so excited yeah, yeah. so anyway really excited for today's guest yes. episode uh, something that I wanted to discuss sort of early on is that I've actually been seeing lots of ads around London and I'm sure a lot of our US listeners, maybe major centres, have seen this as well. It's called PEAR, a social experiment or something. <laughs> I've it, got the website. The, the, world's, the world's biggest social experiment or something like that? I can't remember. It kind exactly of sounds like Channel 4, a great sex experiment. You know, like that's just, yeah. it's not the same thing. Okay, yeah, it's called PEARing. The world's biggest social experiment. Oh, yeah. There we go. And I've been seeing the ads primarily on the tube and Mm. having read a little bit about it, it's also apparently initially launched in the US and the UK and now it's gone global. So maybe that's why (laughs) we're seeing a little bit more sort of stuff about it. Basically, it's the idea of like they want to do away with dating apps and you wear like a silicon, what looks like a silicon sort of ring Mm -hmm. on your finger to indicate that you're single. And the idea is to prompt people to interact with each other. So you can see someone else is single. They've like made this active choice to order, to purchase one of these rings there. And basically it's promoting people meeting out in the wild. Yeah. And they do have a green, like turquoisey sort of ring for single straights. And then they've got a purple one if you're, like some description of queer. And so I was just really intrigued by this because we sort of floated the idea of doing something sort of similar. Yeah, I was just thinking that. I was like, hang on a minute. Do they? Do the developers of this ring listen to our podcast? <laughs> I think it's been around for much longer than that. No, but, I know. I'm kidding. Uh, but it's yeah. a similar idea. It is a similar idea. But, but I think your idea, our idea, was a little bit more like how to – It's also to create community in that it's like this is another polyamorous person maybe they're open to dating or maybe they're just open to connection it's like really fundamentally when you're non-monogamous it's also this idea of trying to create community because it's difficult and as we know like since our last episode was released like and you know, in the last week or so, there has been the world's first non-monogamy or polyamory visibility day. There's lots of different ways of calling it, I noticed. And so that's an attempt as well to start to build community. So that's, Mm -hmm. I feel like, where our sort of idea sort of differed a little bit. Mm -hmm. But I just think it's really interesting because this is sort of questioning the role of dating apps and, the you know, the widespread anecdotal difficulty that people have with finding partners on dating apps being extremely demoralizing, demoralized and potentially feeling like they might be dating someone, but there's always the option for them to find like the next best thing. So yeah, you those this... difficulties. So what do you think about it? What it reminds me of is, excuse the, excuse the, uh, the wildly swerving analogy, but this is what I specialize in, right? I think most of our listeners, we'd be used yeah, to it by yeah, now, yeah. so go forth. Um, it's, it's very much my brand. Um, but <laughs> in the early 90s, right, like big movie execs were all like, you've got to get in as much CGI as possible. People want to see the big CGI. Basically, ever since Jurassic Park, right? Everyone wants to see the big CGI, right? And there was this big push to get them all making cgi driven movies 
And now, so like computer related stuff, right? And now it's like Tom Cruise is doing stunts where he puts his life on the line. And everyone's like, do away with the CGI. We need to do things practically again. Get, let's, <laughs> let's, let's get back to practical stuff, guys. We don't want to see, we want to see real explosions. We don't want to see CGI. And they've also realized it's cheaper, right? Anyway. Moral of the story, do what Tom, what would Tom do? What would Tom dumb? Tom, Tom dumb? What would... Let's <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> just breeze past that. What would Tom do? No, um, in that in that vein, people used to have to date in the wild. They had to meet people out there. Uh, they didn't have the choice. And then technology comes along and it's like, get on the dating apps, guys. Get on the dating apps. I feel like this the pairing is, is the market's way of trying to make dating practical again. Like in, like... IRL again mm. you know what I mean yeah and that's admirable it is admirable and I'm yeah I guess I'm just in, I'm intrigued I am intrigued to see what's going to happen there's definitely I feel like there's definitely some there's going to be some bumps on that road definitely oh, I think so and there's been many attempts at this already like early in a few early episodes we talked about thursdays and how like yeah. how good if there was a wednesdays you know for like non-monogamous folk yeah so i don't think that there's like there's anything wrong with this obviously like it's great to have these sorts of ways of facilitating connection like ultimately that's all we want is to is some how to a way to connect with people yeah and i would be really interested as time goes on to see if there's stories like remember when i remember when tinder launched right and then a few years later, you'd have friends that are like, oh, I'm going to a wedding. They met on Tinder. Can you believe that? And it was this yeah. wild thing. Yeah. And Tinder was doing all this marketing about we met on Tinder. Now we're married, a Tinder baby, yeah. you know, and yeah. now it's like, obviously, mm -hmm. you met online. So it'll be interesting whether it takes to the market or not. Yeah, a lot of people meet on dating apps, but also what do they meet for? It's not just to find, in, in monogamous circles, this is now, it's not just to find, quote unquote, the one <laughs> or someone they want to be with forever or whatever. So Indeed, yeah, and yeah, that's true. a really good point that you make, actually. I'm glad that you brought that up about when people say they met on dating apps, are we assuming it's, you know, they they met and they're in a monogamous marriage now. Is that mm. what the statistics mean? Because among polyamorous folk, it would be very different about the reasons why you're meeting, what you count as meeting somebody True. and what that relationship looks like. So I think there's a lot more nuance with non-monogamy, but it's super interesting. Obviously, <laughs> every time something like this sort of comes out and you notice it in the world around you, I always think about how we could apply that to non-monogamy and we've sort of ventured a couple of ideas about that that we're sort of still, you know, ruminating on. But also I, I always think, I mean, I love that there's like a queering as well. So it's that's very inclusive, which is nice to see. Yeah. But also... Well, well, that's also where I think there might be speed bumps because like who, I mean, in London, sure, uh, in most of the United States, well, the coasts, of the United States, uh, sure, uh, I think people will will be open to wearing something that identifies them as queer. Mm -hmm. But how is that going to work anywhere else in the world? Mm -hmm. Pretty much, like it that that's basically putting a putting. Well, it's outing it's not, yourself. It's not, it's not putting a target on your back because the target is already there. It's just spraying the magic paint that reveals the target. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, I agreed, yeah. and that's the sort of the same thing that we when we were thinking about having a non-monogamous one is like, yeah, okay, too. how do we make it subtle enough so that it's not a clearly not what yeah. it is. And some people in certain circumstances aren't safe. And, and that's something that I did think about when we were like talking about this ring, when we first noticed that the advertisements mm -hmm. is that, and I think we've talked about this on the show before that dating apps do create a safe ish virtual space mm. for people who are non-monogamous yeah. or queer or maybe 
you know, they're straight, but they're not supposed to be dating or whatever it is to connect. And people in rural areas are also able to use dating apps to connect with like-minded people. So I don't think that dating apps are going to like disappear in favor of things like this. And And I think they have a really important role in in modern dating. Yeah, totally. And I also don't think that this is the last idea like this that we will i think there'll be other pairs that come along it's just that pair is the first one to go global um but but on but on the note of going at least global, to our um at least to our knowledge well yeah at least to our knowledge it's certainly the first one that's big enough to for us to notice it right away it's, and the, it's, it's the it's one big enough to it's have got tube a tube ads. ads exactly yeah. <laughs> but um but speaking of going global just a little bit of uh self um adulation um, oh. us, um I just, just remembered uh, we are also now global. We have listeners on every continent except Antarctica. We have listeners on every continent that's permanently inhabited. That's which exciting. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. I think. Um, thank that's you good. to the Latin American listeners that uh, finally that completed joined, the um, the us. puzzle. <laughs> I've been waiting for a listener in Latin America for such a long time, and uh, and we finally got there. So. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody. Thanks if you're listening. If you're not, then okay, sorry. <laughs> so you've got a bit of news. I do have a news, a new, a, a news, news item. I have a news item. Richard's been doing some news gathering. Yes. And um, uh, yeah, it, it's not often that you get uh, like a an actual big kind of polyamory news story. That's, I mean, you do. You get them all the time. But what I mean is using like almost proper terminology and and stuff like that and uh yeah but this one unfortunately is not it's not really a particular i mean it is a positive story and it's not a positive story it starts out positive and then it's the reaction that is as 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 often the case in anything sort of queer uh related um so i'm just going to read the headline um and where's where's this coming from sorry oh sorry yeah this is this is from the scottish daily express uh and it starts with would you call it a tabloid Daily Express. It's uh, ish. Yeah. It's not the Sun, but it's also it's, not. It's. I mean, the I independent. Feel, I feel like it's a little bit. I mean, obviously, this is localized to Scotland, so it's a very it's a regional newspaper. Yeah. Okay. But it's part cool. of a bigger. Like the Daily Express is. Yeah. It's a. It is a tabloid. It is a tabloid. It's not the worst. Tabloid, it's not the most tabloidy tabloid. But it's still tabloid, nonetheless. Okay. Um, so, Still in the tabloid family. Um, just to just start off, um, SNP is the Scottish Nas- National Party. That is the ruling party in Scotland. Um, if you're not from the UK, if you, or yeah, if you're not from the UK, Scotland. Just, just so you know. um, SNP ministers go into hiding over polyamory sex lessons in Scottish schools. <laughs> Sorry. Now, so just. <laughs> I can- just imagine them all like going on, like hiding, like in a cave. Yeah, no, literally. There's plenty Sorry. of caves in Scotland, so that's actually very possible. That is a ridiculous headline. I mean, I would. I, I'm, I'm still imagining Nicola Sturgeon just kind of in yeah. a cave, but she's, she's not she's the leader, not leader anymore. anymore. Uh, I'm, I can't even. I don't even know. It's a dude. It it's a dude. Um, anyway. So what's 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 so, the deal? Uh, pupils at Alva Academy in Clackmannanshire are being taught about polyamorous lifestyles, which involves having multiple partners at the same time as part of a learning under the LGBTQ plus umbrella. Now, it's worth noting that Scotland, uh, the Scottish Parliament, has a very good record when it comes to pushing for LGBTQIA plus uh, uh, sort of education in schools. They've sort of pioneered it in this country. They're leaps and bounds ahead of um, they're not perfect, but they're leaps and bounds ahead of the rest of the United Kingdom. The, the, the part of the story that's relevant to us today is is the, the backlash. Uh, I'm going to read some quotes from some people um, just because it's bloody hilarious. Uh, and So basically, just like to summarize, they're including education um, about polyamory yeah, as just- part of their... Yeah. LGBTQIA. What I would imagine it is is education. Yeah. What would what I I would imagine it is is a, a very probably not even one lesson on. It's probably like part of a. Well, a you one, don't know that for sure. I don't know this for sure, but I I can I can imagine what it is. It's it's like they're just merely mentioning the fact that polyamory 
exists and that it's something that people do it's it's not going to be i mean i was never pushed anything at school i was just simply taught it um i wasn't even taught about gay people in school in my school yeah which i mean it's coming on for quite a few years since i was at school mm-hmm. now but i won't say how many but um <laughs> but it was it was it's still relatively recent history so it it, it kind of it's surprising that it that it, that was missing and now we're here talking about um polyamory i mean this is scotland i was i was schooled in england so it's very very different but it's it, it no point is 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 it saying we uh, they put they are actively pushing a polyamorous agenda if you will it's simply just teaching them in the same way they're probably that they, that they teach about uh same-sex relationships and transgender issues and uh, all that all that stuff um it's simply just adding that into the mix. And of course... Well, there's no harm in that, is there? No. It's like going to a school and... Like, I went to a Catholic school. Being taught about different world religions is super important. Obviously, you know, poly, uh, being queer is not a choice. So that is, of course, a little bit different. But, I, you know, I just think that ultimately it's, it sounds as though they're just educating the kids at the school about the existence of something even when i mean monogamy was pushed oh of course is pushed in our society of course it is and guess what we're not monogamous we may i mean it took us a long time to get to this point but like the the overall point that i would like to make from this is just because a school is teaching about something doesn't mean that your kids are then going to go and do it it's actually just it's informed consent if anything, yeah, for for the relationship style that you, the child the child will eventually uh, grow into. I don't want to say choose because it's not a choice, really. It can be, but it's not always a choice. Hand, my hands in the air, <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's just wild to me. But I just want to just round to round off this little thing. Um, Maggie Mellon. Um, <laughs> I won't. I won't. I won't make the joke. Who is? Uh, an independent social work consultant and children's right ca- rights campaigner said this, given the capture of the Scottish government and what seems like every government agency, every trade union and corporation, the revelation that schools in Scotland are preaching polyamory should not really surprise anyone. This is an anti-children, anti-women, anti-parent against all common sense and morality, and it is time that elected elected representatives are held to account like first of all just i don't even think that statement makes sense it's just it's it's an absolute classic of like you know the moral dilemma Mm -hmm. and with any kind of moral panic not that i think we've got a moral panic against polyamory or non-monogamy on our hands but i do certainly think that we have a moral panic about transgender people and their identities on our hands and a classic argument is well what about the children because their society is most vulnerable and obviously not saying that we shouldn't consider children like i'm a parent i'm i'm really into considering children believe me if anything we're actually trying to say we should consider children and what they may what they need to know about the world. Indeed. And I think like the the terminology preaching polyamory is obviously a very deliberate choice there. Yeah. It just indicates that there's a wider agenda, that there's a conspiracy to indoctrinate children. And I mean, that couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, but, you know, yeah. it's it's a shame that, that this is something that people think, but... Yeah. It's like yeah. we said in episode one of this podcast, even this podcast, which is called The Poly Podcast... On episode one, we said this isn't about preaching an agenda. Mm-hmm. It's we, we. I couldn't give a shit what your what your uh, relationship uh, dynamic is, as long as it's healthy. I don't care. I wanted just as many monogamous listeners. And I, it's got nothing to do with being preachy. A hundred percent. What is preachy is trying to remove aspects of like really important aspects of children's education in the name of a basically a political ideology Mm. that's what's preachy they're the preachy ones and that's kind of what really pisses me off the most about it is that there's like there's no sense of irony they're saying this stuff 
you know, it's something that I've heard, not a lot, but something that I have heard just in wider discussions about children's education, anything that's related to sexuality or gender is something that a lot of people think shouldn't be taught to kids until they're much older. And I'm not against the topics being taught. I think that with everything, it needs to be age appropriate. And that if you've read any, I mean, my person, my closest personal friends have said to me that they were no knew they were queer from the age of five. Mm-hmm. So it's not as though young children aren't exploring their identities. When I was a young person, I knew I liked boys very early on. What I was going to say, like, so it's it's just I just um I think it just needs to be age appropriate. And I don't know whether the article says how old the kids are, but this argument of they're pushing polyamory, they're pushing queer identities. It's when you reverse it, it would if that was the argument, but they weren't pushing monogamy and they weren't pushing straightness yeah. and yeah, yeah. cisness. Then you'd be like, oh, okay, well, like if they're not pushing that, then of course we're not going to do that. But because there's an inherent norm that's taught to you from a young age, it is being pushed in that way too. And there's nothing wrong with teaching a child about the world and teaching them that there are diverse people. It will mean they will grow to be a tolerant and respectful adult. And that's all we can hope for our kids. Yeah, big time. So, um, yeah. Oh, I'm getting hot. Yeah, and it's quite warm in here today. Um, <laughs> but I think basically what you're saying, um, the way I would the way I would word it, yeah, is and forget correct correct me if I'm wrong. Always, if they <laughs> never, <laughs> um, if 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 children are being taught something and there is an antithesis of that thing, provided that it's healthy, they should be taught both. They should be taught the the both sides of the thing Mm -hmm. so if they're being taught that straight is a thing they need to be taught that gay is a thing and other sexuality you know other sexualities are a thing if they're being taught monogamy they need to be taught non-monogamy or as our friend uh roy graf would say Mm multigamy so it's like it's simple as that so yeah like that i think yeah we've covered it we've we've done it well done well done us yeah well well now, Ooh, now that we've taken a big now, deep now breath. That we've, yeah, now that we've calmed down. Um, well, maybe maybe we need a break to calm Let's take a break to calm down. Yeah, I'm going to go and have a cold shower. Yeah. <laughs> and then when we, when we come back. We'll be with, we'll be with Jessica Fern. The, uh, well, I won't say who she is because we'll, we'll say that. It'll be in, it's in the episode title, babe. They'll, they know when they clicked onto this who they're listening no, no, no. to. Who, like what? what she is and what she's because uh, we're gonna we'll say oh yeah we'll say yeah yeah no she day. introduces herself or we do so uh, well we, we will be here when we get back from our, our uh cool off yeah and we'll have jess fern with us and we'll be talking with her as as is the, f- the format yes the there'll be <laughs> rich and i and some microphones and jess fern that's right and um, we'll be having we'll be talking a discussion about her, her the work podcast. and her, her new book, which is yeah. So we're excited um, to welcome today's guest to the Poly Podcast. Uh, she's a psychotherapist, coach and author of uh, the book Poly Secure. And her new book, Polywise, is set for release at the end of August and is available for pre-order now. We are so excited to welcome to the show, Jessica Fern. Woo! Thank you. So excited to have you. I'm um, excited to be with you. Our listeners will know that we read your book really early on in our opening up journey. We talk about it on our very first episode. I often joke with people how it was like the Jessica Fern book club that we started between <laughs> the two of us. <laughs> It was, it was a bit. Though. Um, was and it? we tell that story for anyone who's listening in episode one. So go back and listen to that. But we're so excited to have uh, the person that wrote the book. Yeah. The, the 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 person that the book club was named after. <laughs> I remember when I remember. Yeah, I remember when we started the podcast initially. We were like, "Wouldn't it be great to get her on the on, on one day?" And here we are. It's Voila! So we're excited. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just for anyone who, I mean. If they've been living under a polyamory rock and don't know who you are, um, 
we would love for you to just start off by telling us a bit about you and your work and um, if anyone who doesn't know you, how you came to work in the non-monogamous space. Yes. So I am a psychotherapist and a, a trauma professional and a relationship coach and a mediator. Um, and it was however many years ago now, um, I, I've told the story before, it was sort of one summer, it was one week in one summer where like er, all of my couple's clients were exploring non-monogamy and bringing it up in their relationships for the first time. And so that really kicked this off, you know, as a as a professional, I was like, I need more. <laughs> I need I need some skill sets here, right? Or some conceptual frameworks to help me know how to navigate this well and support, you know, these clients. So that's really what kicked the whole thing off. Nice. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, that sounds it's like a really organic way that these sort of things happened. And yeah. um, you do say in polysecure you like, and then as any good, you know, professional, I said, I better investigate this. And then here you are. Right. So, yeah. um, well, if we start the, if we start off our conversation today, um, by asking about microaggressions, um, yes. and how having these thrown at you as a, as a sort of poly person or non-monogamous person can trigger a bit of a response that can be heated or intense in some way um you know uh examples of microaggressions that we we get all the time uh are things like i couldn't share my partner like you do um well my partner's enough for me so yeah that's a good one um (laughs) why do you let them date other people um so I mean, when we yeah. are, when we you open... just want to have your cake and eat it too. Yeah, yeah exactly. A classic, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a classic. So, like, when we opened our relationship, both of us had many microaggressions said to us, uh, often by, often, you know, often by actually well-intended people who cared about us. Um, we didn't have the vocab or knowledge or confidence to respond to them in a way that made us really feel empowered. I, I suppose, and we mm. we often came away from interactions with people where we maybe felt, I mean, I think this is probably more especially true of you, Siobhan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you felt really confused or anxious and discouraged and within our non-monogamous uh, unit, I guess, <laughs> um, uh, which sounds like the antithesis, but um, could you describe maybe, you know what I mean, it's not just a unit. Um, right. World, you know, in a nominal world, I think is probably a better way of putting it. Uh, could you maybe describe uh, the impact that microaggressions can can have on poly people and and the emotions they can trigger? Yes, it's so funny. You're sort of like almost quoting the beginning, the intro of my next book. Is I sort of name some of these comments, right? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. You'll, you'll see it, right? Yeah. And. And use that word discouraging, right? That here someone is trying to share that, oh, I'm newly non-monogamous or I'm polyamorous or I already am. And they're sharing it to forge a connection. And then here they feel more disconnected is usually the result, right? When they Mm -hmm. get comments like this, even by well-intended people, right? So I think that the impact that you're getting at is often feeling discouraged, feeling disconnected and feeling shame, right? Like, Mm -hmm. oh, I must be wrong or I'm doing something wrong or this isn't okay. Right. So it really can reinforce a shaming experience. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think, you know, I really relate to that, what you just said about forming a connection. And there's a lot of research, particularly by like Dr. Brene Brown about, you know, the way to avoid shame or to not feel shame is to forge connection. And I think, you know, you definitely, and, and then when you, you come away feeling that, when you don't feel that connection, you do feel a lot of shame. And that's like really hard to sort of manage when you're also learning about a whole new world of exactly. monogamy, right? Right. And it can be so isolating, mm. right? And that's one of the really painful impacts too, is like, you're, I'm sharing this because I want connection, even support and walking away just feeling more isolated in this pretty significant thing that's happening yeah 100 percent. I, yeah. I, one of the things i find particularly interesting is hearing about what siobhan experienced with a lot of people i didn't experience as much and i think that there i think the gender or yeah i think gender has a lot to do with that i think women and mm-hmm. men and women um or or male presenting 
people and female presenting people experience this differently because of the expectations that they have on them. Um, and yeah, it's just it's interesting to sort of hear just how intense it was for Siobhan, whereas for me it was quite fleeting. And I don't know whether I don't know whether because of my experience with my own queer identity, I, I maybe maybe I just become I'd come to be quite accustomed to those sort of reactions already. Do you know what I mean? There is a bit of a parallel. Um, but yeah, I just find that really interesting. I just wanted to kind of highlight that there is a bit of a parallel there, I guess. And and, and there are yeah. differences between the way men and women are treated, even in the polyamorous um, sort of yeah. arena. I think <laughs> both, right? If you've already come out, like you're saying with queerness in this case, but you've come out in some way that you're mm. different than the norm, right? It can pave the way for that to be a little bit easier to come out, right? However, I saw that when I came out as bisexual, it was fine. And versus people were very uncomfortable with polyamory. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, cause there's this implicit, like they're afraid that their partner who's monogamous with them will hear this and it will catch on. Mm. <laughs> it's like, that was the anxiety that I saw in people. They oh were just goodness. sort of like, mm -hmm. yeah. don't let my partner hear you talk about this, please. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I absolutely had the same experience. And for me, like my bisexuality sort of, sort of, came about at the same time as we were exploring the monogamy thing. all it just happened sort of at once yeah. and it's also that is also my experience where and i think because it was happening at the same time people were like not even slightly concerned about me being bisexual but right. they were no like problem. oh that's fine whatever like what's going on with this dating other people thing so i've got almost zero questions mm. about my queer identity because i think that most people are so focused on this polyamory situation that they're not like it just it's a really interesting blueprint about what's going on in society at the moment and what people think yeah. um, but based on the questions that you get. Um, but I mean, when people are asking questions, I mean, do you think there is a difference between a microaggression and someone like trying to understand or can, is it a fine line? Like what's your thoughts on it's that? A bit of a diagram, yeah. yeah, it's really blurry because I think, what happens is in some of these microaggressions, they're not meant to be microaggressions or micro insults, right? They're like, it's just pure ignorance. Mm. If someone doesn't know what this is. It's so foreign to them or it's so against what they think is safety and okay and, you know, acceptable mm -hmm. that they're just, the ignorance is coming out of their mouth. Right. And they don't mean to be saying these things. They don't realize the impact. You know, it doesn't excuse them, of course. You know, so there's that blurry line where, like, yeah, people just don't understand what polyamory is. So they're saying things like, oh, I couldn't share my partner. Right. Mm -hmm. um, or my partner's enough for me. Polyamory has nothing to do with your partner not being enough. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. they, don't know, they don't know that. Right. So I think, though, the difference would be you will feel the difference of someone being genuinely curious, right? Mm. Where they, they're like, I don't understand this and I want to understand this. So I'm asking questions to understand you, right? We mm. feel that difference versus someone's like saying things in their slight judgment and fear, right? In, in what they're saying, right? They don't want to kind of deal with it, right? They're pushing you away. Yeah, that's actually such a it's really, really interesting, whether they're trying to understand you and your experience mm -hmm. or, yeah, that's really interesting. That's, that's actually super helpful as well. Like you think going <laughs> forward in interactions, you'd be like, you oh. You can ask yourself, like, is it, where, where is this coming from? Is this person sort of almost projecting in a way or are they, yeah. or, 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 or are they actually trying to sort of understand you because they care about you, you know? Exactly. And I think that can be applied to anyone that's, maybe struggling with coming out to parents in sexuality or gender wise as well. I think that can be applied there too, right? Like it's not just a um, non-monogamy thing. It's not. I mean, any differences that we encounter between humans or among humans, yeah. right? Yeah. We can just check ourselves and say, oh, am I genuinely, like I'm ignorant and I'm genuinely curious to ask, what is your experience? What is this like? And I think we can, can say things like, for me, I just couldn't imagine sharing my partner. So help me understand what that is for yeah. you, right? That's taking ownership. Yeah. Totally. Like qu qualify, 
qualify the question somewhat, right? So that you're exactly. you're asking the question and you're telling them where it's coming from, not just exactly. asking the question. Yeah, that's a cool yeah. One. Um, I mean, m moving on a little bit. Um, on your website, uh, you talk a bit about body-based mindfulness and somatic experiences. Um, why is it important to tune into your body when experiencing sort of these hard emotions that one might come across, particularly if they're, uh, you know, maybe new to non-monogamy or just in non-monogamy in general? Yeah. Well, right, these reactions and emotions, they're coming from the body, right? I mean, it's a body-based, physiological, full, yeah. <laughs> right, nervous system experience. It's not something you're just like feeling in your head. Yeah. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> right? Um, and, and often these reactions, it's activating that sympathetic stress response, right? Which is a full body base. So it's like, or just feelings are coming. And, you know, in my framework, it's feelings are meant to be experienced, you know, through the heart, mind and body. They move through that and then we can move through them, right? And it's often when we don't let the body go through that, that then that's when things get stuck. Right. right. Yeah. What do you mean by getting stuck? Where the feeling isn't processed, so okay. it gets repressed, or we're ruminating in our minds. Oh, I'm so angry. I can't let go of this. Right. I keep thinking about it. We get hooked on it. Right. Or we keep feeling it. The feeling itself isn't going away, but we're not truly allowing the feeling. There's an interesting paradox, right? Mm -hmm. That we're trying to suppress or repress doesn't actually work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you had to sort of give someone advice as to how they could move past that, um, what would you say to them? Like, yeah, I think people um, mindfulness tools are great, like mm -hmm. how to actually be in your body um, and mindfully engage with the feelings or thoughts that are arising, right? Because it creates a little bit of separation from it, right? If I'm observing this, yeah, or being with it at the same time that it's happening. Um, focusing on sensation, so dropping below the story, because it's the story of what's happening and what it means and how it was an insult or how it was this, or I can't believe you, know, all of that mm -hmm. story, right, can kind of keep things going and just feeling the sensations when we actually just tune into what does this actually feel like, right? Is it warm? Is it cool? Is it numbing? Is it, you know... Um, my heart is racing, whatever it is, right? I'm feeling my face flush. So just really staying with the actual sensations is one way to let it come through. Mm. Um, the other ways I do it is seeing that every feeling and reaction is a messenger with an important message to tell us, mm -hmm. right? It doesn't always mean that it's accurately true about what's happened, right? But it's pointing to something. So can we inquire of what is this feeling trying to tell me about my own experience or what is happening or what I'm afraid of mm -hmm. right that yeah. would be an yeah well I, I've used the phrase before to when when we when we've discussed jealousy actually um which is this idea of kind of acknowledging it without necessarily mm -hmm. nur nurturing it um and I think that's in a way that's kind of what you're just sort of alluding to there in a way isn't it you're you're acknowledging it and kind of analyzing it without no without kind of letting it kind of get carried away yeah you know what i mean yeah without yeah it, without, without it consuming you <laughs> yeah it's 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 not letting it take over yeah but i yeah. think with jealousy we do have actually have to turn towards it to care for it and tend to it mm -hmm. but with this sense of oh what is this jealousy telling me about yeah, 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 yeah. my relationship right or my feelings or my past or my own insecurity right yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 and i mean this kind of relates to the like your sort of nervous system and looking inward i mean you talk a little bit as well about how you've learned to rewire your reactivity which is a phrase i love like those that that alliteration <laughs> with the r r i was like ooh, i love this phrase <laughs> i'm a sucker for alliteration so. yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a Metallica album. Yeah, it's like rewire, rewire your reactivity. reactivity. Love it. <laughs> I mean, so what do you think we can learn from how we react when we have a microaggression directed at us? And yeah. how do we how could we use these responses that we have to to manage our own reactivity? You know, how, what can we learn from them essentially? I think there's a bunch of things we can learn. Yeah. 
So we all tend to have a proclivity towards more fight, flight, freeze, or appease, right? Mm -hmm. And just seeing, oh, which one do I go into with these microaggressions? Um, And it can be very relationship dependent. Like maybe if my sibling's saying it, I'm going to fight back and argue with them, right? Mm -hmm. And I go into this more, you know, fight with you response. If it's a coworker, maybe I flee. I just don't say anything or walk away. Or some people we freeze. Right? And we have this freeze reaction. So just learning what nervous system state am I getting triggered into? And then there's a lot we can learn about how do we deal with all of those a bit differently and sort of what is the remedy to that state? The other thing is we can learn, is this a person in my life that I want to keep in my life? Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. Is this a healthy, supportive relationship? Is this yeah. someone who is being ignorant and they need to, and it's worth <laughs> educating them mm. or not? Yeah. yeah. Seriously, right? Mm, it's true. Many, many of us open up and we have people who maybe don't understand, but those relationships can subsist, right? And then we open up and we realize, oh, this relationship is going to end because this person can't accept this about me Mm. and they're just critical about it or skeptical or unsupportive about it. So we can learn that. Mm. (laughs) And, um, I love parts work, inner parts work, you know, internal family systems. So Mm -hmm. also what part of me is getting triggered. That Mm. doesn't mean what the person said isn't in itself a problem. Mm. So am I just upset with what they said because what they said is problematic and I am having a current moment, present moment, totally legitimate upset response Mm. and or is a part of me getting triggered from my past around certain traumas, relationship ruptures that haven't really been processed yet. And so it can be this nice entry point to go back into that. Yeah. And I I just, I really love that you said about like relationships with people because (laughs) that like that is honestly for me one of the most challenging things about the whole like coming out queer and being in an open relationship is accidentally like realizing almost in real time when you're having discussions with people you're like this is it's actually quite painful right like you've got this relationship with with whoever you know it could be anyone in your life and you you and sometimes you go in thinking oh, I'm going to be safe with this and you're not or it, it's not or it's more of a journey than what you may have expected and that's that's really hard like where you mm-hmm. feel like something about you or about the way a choice that you've made is going to impact really important relationships like that's really, really challenging and can trigger a whole bunch of secondary emotions, right? Where it's like, you've had something said to you, you've had a really like difficult conversation and you walk away from it. And then you've got like this sort of secondary, you're at home or you're with your partner by yourself and you're thinking like, what, like it really can throw the future of that into question, right? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, abandonment trauma can get completely activated. Yeah. Yeah. Mistreatment from being judged, criticized, growing up, not accepted, school trauma. I mean, you name it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where knowing where where the sort of micro, whether it's a microaggression or if it's a genuine curious, you know, curious mm. question, can really be really helpful. Because if all you're getting from them is microaggression after microaggression after microaggression, then maybe that's a, a situation where that relationship isn't really serving either of you anymore and and maybe that's you know one that unfortunately you have to kind of think about ending yeah you know yeah yeah if they don't really understand who you are it's uh yeah can be it can be difficult but um i mean i went through that um i I think i've mentioned this too many times on the podcast but when i quit drinking (laughs) i i went through that as well you know so many people who i thought were my friends uh, it turns out they weren't at all because they were just drinking buddies, you know. And it's yeah. uh, it's a little different, but it's it's still it's still a form of breaking ties for the benefit of, you know, I guess your your wider life. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's breaking the status quo. Yeah, and both of those moves are you know an evolutionary step that you took, right? And not yeah. everyone is can hang there. Yeah, exactly. Is it possible to an extent, do you think, to 
exist in potentially relationships that you not as easy to free yourself from maybe it's like you feel like you can't move out and your housemates are you know critical family relationships that you can't you don't feel like you can or want to even move away from um how possible is it to sort of continue to exist in those relationships but sort of change the nature of them like is that something that you can do is it advisable what are your thoughts on that yeah I do think it's a case by case Mm. um it's not easy that's for sure because in those relationships you need to start compartmentalizing yourself Mm. of okay where can we have conversation or connection and what is safe to talk about what's on the table and what's not And sometimes we do that already. You know, there's many things with family of origin I'm just not going to talk about. (laughs) I can accept the limits of that relationship, but I'm not in that relationship all the time. I dip in and out. I see you twice a year. Okay, it's not the worst. However, I would make sure there's a healthy boundary on like repeated microaggressions is not okay. So if the Mm. person can respect, we're not going to talk about this and I'll respect this boundary then it's doable. But if someone's going to keep criticizing, commenting, then we're talking about an, basically a toxic or an abusive dynamic. Mm. Yeah. 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 Makes sense. yeah. And yeah. 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 Well, if we quickly, uh, uh, just before we um, move on to our like little game that we've got, um, <laughs> the re- return to, uh, I guess the, the first subject that really me and Siobhan, um, uh, kind of, uh, I guess we approached non-monogamy from this angle to begin with, which is, you know, a- attachment, which is something that you've written extensively on uh, the whole, your whole first book really in, in a way is, you know, delves into attachment yeah. styles and, uh, a- you know, analyzes them. Um, and you have a new book as well called Polywise, which is coming out, as I think we mentioned earlier, at the end of August. Big congratulations. We can't so wait to read it. Can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> um, something that both, obviously both these texts cover, I mean, we don't know Polywise yet because we haven't uh, <laughs> uh, read it, but based on what you've sort of spoken to us about it, um, <laughs> uh, it covers the sort of paradigm shift between experience uh, when a- approaching, uh, sorry, a paradigm shift people experience rather uh when uh, approaching non-monogamy you really do have to rethink some some of those core beliefs uh and and the understanding you hold of yourself and big emotions like love and at least in our experience some of these questions and microaggression microaggressions uh made this shift harder so in what ways can this paradigm shift be influenced by people and the structures in our lives when you say influenced by people, do you mean that it's people that helped us into the paradigm or they're hurting the shift? Mm. I get, and maybe that's the answer is right. Is yeah. The influence. Well, we can absolutely have people that support the paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. Even if we don't have those people in our life, we have podcasts to turn to mm-hmm. and books to read and some, some programs to watch, you know, yeah, um, that help. And I think that's one of the things I suggest is not to underestimate the like massiveness of making this kind of paradigm shift Mm -hmm. because things like love, family, sex, romance, all redefine, they all have different rules of conduct, so to speak, or, you know, ways of operating. Mm -hmm. And so immersing yourself as much as you can in people that are really in this paradigm and supportive of it is crucial to help create that shift. Um, Yeah. And I think many people struggle to make the shift um, because they're still immersed in mononormative romantic idealization culture, as we all are. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to get out of that. Um, Or the people in our life aren't supportive of it. So it's hard to feel like, oh, I might lose my job or lose my family Mm -hmm. if I'm honest about who I am. Yeah, so, and there's mm-hmm. a that the, it's quite a big concept in the queer community. But I think like, you know, I think that polyamory should be considered queer as well. But, yeah. um, you know, it's it's so relatable, especially if you've kind of operated from a queer place or within the queer community before about this idea of chosen family and creating community. And yeah. I think that it's really, you know, even within your own life, you can have sort of like this 
section of your community that does support this shift and helps you do it and then maybe ones that aren't as supportive or don't understand it as much. Um, And I feel like as well, like we kind of asked us a bit about the structural element in that question as well, like potentially creating your own structures in that way so that you can, if you decide you want to do it and you're going to stick to it, like you've got that support. Yes. Yeah, I think it's mm. important to create what are the structures that help support this shift and you have to recreate it yourself versus it being given to us by the culture or, or society mm. we're in. Yeah. 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 This is why, you know, at the end of the day, this is why pride, one of the reasons why pride exists is to allow for those spaces. Um, and the, I mean, I'm, I'm sure we'll probably do a whole episode on does polyamory belong at pride sort of thing uh, in the future but um but for exactly the reasons that Siobhan was just talking about I think it should it certainly should be because uh I mean having gone through uh sort of coming out stages sexuality gender and, and all sorts myself um it's definitely comparable um when telling family about non non-monogamy um so yeah and like like you said you had no questions about being bisexual no but you had so many <laughs> about that were that were that had these microaggressions right yeah. so yeah yeah and, and for me to say it wasn't comparable i didn't lose relationships coming out as bisexual i lost relationships coming out as polyamorous yeah, right. yeah. in my personal experience yeah sure people that might have the opposite right? yeah i think well i think you know 30 or 40 years ago people were probably more likely to lose those relationships if they came out as as not heterosexual but um now um i think and it's a great thing you know it's positive that that it's it's certainly less likely to happen i'm not going to say it doesn't happen because it certainly does especially in other parts of the world Mm, mm. um so yeah it's um do you what do you do you think that polyamory is I mean I can share my thoughts I think polyamory is queer because it does challenge social structures in the way that other sexualities do mm-hmm. um do you have any thoughts on that um especially in pride month we've been seeing a lot of discussion around this question of like yeah. should we add a p to the acronym like what sort of yeah. yeah I just wondering whether you had any thoughts on that as well yeah Yeah, I mean, I do think it's a really interesting topic. Mm. And because so many people who are queer or just if being bisexual, let's say, you know, that how do you impose monogamy on someone who, I mean, many bisexual people are monogamous, you can do it. But it's also an interesting thing or many um, people who are queer are also polyamorous. Mm -hmm. And vice versa. So there's a lot of overlap. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I yeah. think so. We we always say that um you know gay, gay people are like the pioneers in polyamory. They sort of exactly. did they like, did it first, right? Cuz especially uh, gay men have been doing this yeah. for a very long time, you yeah. know. And, yeah. 100%. Yeah, there's, there's a whole subculture of yeah, uh, you exactly. know gay cruising. <laughs> yeah, like it's, you know? this is a thing and um for me it's always like well this isn't a new practice. We're talking about it more and yeah there's more and more people that have heard of what this is, mm-hmm. but it isn't new. And, you know, it's good to acknowledge that, I think, because, um, yeah, it's great that there's more and more resources. So, you know, we just hope that we can continue to create those. Um, yeah. Okay, well, shall we do? Question? Yes. Question um, of the week. So we're doing a spin. We haven't uh, played this one yeah, in a while. We haven't done it for a while, but, it, but even, even with that in mind, um, we're not doing it exactly how we usually do. Because normally it's a question, right? Well, you know, like a common question that you probably yeah. get asked. We play devil's advocate, you know, in a way that's kind of. I think we're not we're not necessarily asking the question. We're being. It's a question that we get asked by people who aren't usually non-monogamous, and uh, given that you know today is all about microaggressions, oh. um, we're going to do microaggressions. Of the week. Oh, it's just, do I have to respond to them? 
Uh, we'd love you to if you like. Love if you could. Part of our part of our like whole mission. If we I don't know whether we can have a mission, but you know, uh, is just like we didn't have any vocabulary like when we started out, and we just had like questions thrown at us, and we were like, "It's hard to." What's the answer to this? I don't even know the answer to this, right? So we we like the whole point of this original sort of idea was like if we answer these questions, maybe someone out there will hear that and go, oh, I could answer it that way or that's helpful for me. Um, We're not trying to trigger anybody by actually asking these questions. Yes, of course. So... And to Let be fair, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, but, but to be fair, um, th- we have three um, okay. a- and they're more to start with, <laughs> but they're more statements than questions. Okay. So things that people might say to us when we're having that sort of initial discussion about it uh, could be from a friend or a family member or, or whatever it may be. Um, and it's more just like, well, what can we sort of say that won't make them feel uh, yeah, you don't want to make things worse, but you also <laughs> want to stick up for yourself and sort of make your voice yeah. heard, you know. So, oh, you can kick us off if you want. Should I, should I go? Kick us off. Yeah, go on. All right. I couldn't share my partner like you do. How come? <laughs> <laughs> that is. Uh, yeah. Oh my yes. god! That's obsessed. not what I, I was not expecting that at all. Actually, you I, are good. I because I thought you were going to say something along the lines of, well, I'm not really sharing my partner, like something like that, you know? Oh, my God, but I love that. Just throwing it back in like, oh, just, oh, well, how come? That's how come? Just love them with curiosity back. Oh, why? Boom. How come? Oh, my God, I love that. Yeah, I mean, especially, or you could go another route of go, oh, that's interesting. You see it as sharing. I don't see it as sharing. And then mm. you have to kind of go into that, like, education piece. Yeah. <laughs> Right, and you're you're making a distinction of like, oh, that's how you see it. Mm-hmm. Do you want to hear yeah. see it? Right. Yeah. But I like the impact of how come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, that's a t-shirt idea. Oh um, gosh, how funny! <laughs> right, you you, you um, want to say the next one? Okay, so the next one. Um, your partner is just taking advantage of you. Why do you think so? <laughs> I'm so. <laughs> We should have added follow up. (laughs) We're gonna do like verbal aikido, right? Like someone the martial art aikido, they throw you, and instead of you pushing up against it, you use their momentum to like turn and let them keep going. (laughs) Yeah, I love this. Yeah, why do you think so? Um, Or you could do the opposition of, oh well, I don't think they're taking advantage of me at all. That's not what this is. Right, yeah. And that's something that I've I've heard got this one a lot, which is why it's there. Because <laughs> Rich obviously came out to me and was like, you know, I'm polyamorous by orientation and I was like, Oh, okay, like what does this look like? And so of course I and I've got like a really strong network of friends and family that were really concerned for me and they were like uh, what is he doing? You know? Mm. Um, which is I'm very lucky to have such a, a lovely group of friends, but you know, that was also a really challenging one for me to answer because I wasn't even sure like whether that was true or not at the time, like really early on. I was like, is he? I don't know. Yeah, and that, I don't uh, think that anymore, obviously. I'm still here, aren't I? But, you yeah. know. Um, and obviously that was I, – I, it's, it I bothers guess, you, doesn't I it? I guess yeah. because my head was so far from that mindset yeah. it, that I wasn't actually expecting to, people yes, to say that, really which I probably right. should have. I, probably, I was probably being a bit naive and like, you know, I, I thought – yeah. As soon as as soon as you told me about that, I was kind of like, of course people think that. Like, why didn't I think that people would think that? And and yeah, it hurts. Really, really hurts because, as you know, it's it's one thing when you you're choosing uh, yeah. to to uh, adopt a non-monogamous yeah. dynamic, but when it's when you feel it is very much a part of yourself, um, it, I the only thing I can. Uh, uh, liken it to is someone accusing someone of faking being gay to get out of a relationship because they're yeah. too you know yeah that's kind of how it felt 100%. um yeah. it, it very much invalidated that side of me so yeah that i'm glad you put that one on there okay next yeah. one last one um, oh, well, actually, we maybe we could ask one the one that we started with but okay. maybe, maybe we could do two more okay. because i'm, two, I'm more. two more because i'm loving jessica's responses <laughs> to these <laughs> i'm like uh, right, this is a good one. Uh, well, my partner is enough for me. 
So is mine. Boom. Oh my god, the one liners. Mic drop. <laughs> it's the one, and also, you know what? Like the the, the one liners, you're right. They're so impactful. Yeah. It's just like okay, or hitting them with curiosity back. I've literally never thought of that. Yeah. yeah. I can't Keep wait. It simple. Oh my god, London's not going to know what hit them. I'm going to be out <laughs> on the streets doing all these things. Okay, we'll do last one. Last one. Um. Why do you let your partner date others? I would say, oh, well, it's not about me letting them. This is what we're agreeing to do together. Yeah, nice. Yeah. 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 There's so much. And I just like, you know, honestly, when I hear these things, I just think I could unpack like where all these thoughts, they all come from. Like, why does there permission involved? Why like, you know. No, they're not. I'm, I'm, I'm a consenting adult. Like my eyes are white, you know, and I feel like you could just dig into all of that. But I love also, I feel like these responses empower you to not have to do that. Mm-hmm. They just empower you to say, same. Yeah. And like move on and not have to feel like you've got to explain or educate. And I really love how that, like the responses that you've just given, I feel like they, they're going to empower people myself rich going forward and not having to be like okay so on page 47 of blah 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 like it's just it feels a bit like that yeah yeah, yeah exactly I, there's a way to like not bite the bait mm. this person's baiting you in some way and you don't have to bite the bait yeah and getting defensive over it doesn't help any of it yeah. i mean easier said than done i totally get that because mm-hmm. if someone's being shitty they're being shitty right? <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. But as much as we can to respond with ways that kind of diffuse it, don't bite the bait, don't mm-hmm. get defensive. Right. Mm. I think We're as well I think as well the the whole thing about, you know, it's not it's not up to me to let someone do something. That it, the com- that is the essence of of polyamory in, as well in yeah. the sense that it's like we're acknowledged by doing this one one of the things that doing this does is it it sort of acknowledges that it's not um it, it we we don't feel like we have the right to tell people what to do yeah, with their them. bodies and minds you know and that because yeah. that was very much a big part of it for me mm-hmm. going in i think one of the first things i mentioned was that i don't feel comfortable i don't feel comfortable with someone telling me what to do what i can do and i don't feel comfortable telling someone else what to do with their with their yeah. body and life and mind so yeah, so I, I really like that because that it, That's- and it also leans against the othering, because you're kind of saying, well, yeah, me, you know, for a lot of these responses, it's literally you're reconnecting with that person, saying, yeah, it's the same for me too. Like these things are the same. I feel the same way. I, we just do things differently. It doesn't mean that we feel love any less or differently. And that's part of the paradigm shift, right? Yeah. One paradigm is that I am the owner or entitled to my partner's time, sexuality, attention, right? I have rights to it. Yeah. And this other paradigm, um, which could include a monogamous way of exclusivity too, but it's a different paradigm of seeing like, oh, I don't own my partner. I share with my partner. I share mm-hmm. myself with my partner. I make requests and you know have healthy expectations but it's not entitlement and ownership is a big shift yeah 100% awesome I think that basically uh, rounds up well, our we'd interview. love you to share um, yeah. that your website your business where we can pre-order the yeah. book all those things just so our listeners yeah. can find you yeah so jessicafern.com pretty simple and <laughs> people can have you know the my books are up there there's links to the books right there um, if people subscribe to my website they get any updates of upcoming events or anything like that so or when this podcast comes out I'll you know <laughs> yeah that would be great <laughs> I think also as well because we haven't really mentioned uh in in any great any real depth uh maybe just like a quick uh I know it's still a, it's still a bit of a work in progress right now uh if correct me if I'm wrong um but poly wise um yeah. maybe just maybe just a quick rundown of kind of what to expect from that book great yeah no it's it's at the press oh, everything okay. is written it's coming out next recorded. month like yes. yeah True. It'll, yeah. it's, it'll be ready to go. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm just checking. Yeah. I, don't, yeah. I don't work in publishing. <laughs> right. So Polly Wise um, would have been my first book. 
<laughs> where that's like what I pitched first was, hey, in all of my research, in all of my client hours, um, what I'm seeing is these like six things that people are struggling with and attachment was one. And my publisher was like, can you make a book just about attachment first? And I was like, <laughs> instead of it being a chapter in this book, right? Right. Like, oh, okay, yeah. So I did that. And then this one is the other things. So we cover things like paradigm shifts. Like that's why it can be so hard. Um, we cover codependency and the need for differentiation. We cover differences between partners that get exposed either as you're opening up or in different CNM transitions down the road. Uh, the awakening of the self, the deconstruction of the self that can happen. So it's it's longer, it's denser, but it covers a lot of topics. Yeah. Brilliant. Super. Yeah. The and more the better. I think people are going to love the chapter on troubleshooting when you have one partner who's more hesitant. Okay. Oh. How do you work through that? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. How good. We can't wait. Honestly, I'm, it's, I'm buzzed. I can't I'm, wait for yeah. the end of August. Yeah. Um, right. Well, we better tell people we can find us too. Yeah. I mean, if you don't know already. Um. <laughs> we love five-star reviews, guys. So give us those, please. Yes. Um, we, and we have had some. We've had a few, so that's nice. We've had a few, so that's great. Um, you can obviously subscribe to us, rate, review us, so that whenever you can subscribe, so when we release stuff, you'll get a notification. Yes. Um, you can also follow us on social media. We are at poly underscore podcast on both Instagram and Twitter. Um, we have a website because um, we're extremely high tech, the-poly-podcast.captivate.fm. And, of course, you can email us at podcastapoly at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. We'll see you next time, everybody. Thanks so much again. Thanks so much, Jess. We've loved every second of this. (laughs) And uh, yeah, see you next time, guys. Bye-bye. Bye.